If you have your Bibles this morning, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're just going to keep rolling right on through our series through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're looking this morning. And so open your Bibles up and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, when he talks about this passage, is as you know, we've, we've walked through this book. He's leading up to a chapter and a section where he's going to talk about unity and diversity. He's going to talk about the fact that we all have different gifts in our lives. We all have different things that he has gifted us to do, different talents, different strengths. But as he's already talked about previously, when he mentioned about pride and arrogance, and he talked about, you know, what are you, what are you boasting in? Because every gift you have, God has given you that gift. And so what do you have to boast about, even if you are smarter than somebody else? Even if you are more talented than somebody else on the basketball court or on the softball field or the baseball field, or if you can sing better than the rest of us can, God gave you those abilities. So you don't boast in those abilities in a prideful, arrogant, selfish way. You give glory to God for the gift that he's given you, and you use that gift for others to give glory back to him. So even if you're better looking than the rest of us and you put us to shame, God gave you the gift. You're smarter, you're more eloquent, God gave you the gift. And here Paul's building on that, and he's saying, look at the unity and the diversity that's important in the body of Christ. And he's building on a couple other things too. He's building on the body analogy. He's building on the love for others. He's building on the entire book, and he's gonna move from this chapter and that aspect into the chapter 13 that we'll talk about next, not next week, but the week after. And that's the chapter that everybody knows is the chapter on love. But why does he move and put the chapter on love right in between this chapter on gifts and then a chapter that's super controversial on tongues? Why does he put the love right in there? It goes back to the whole stumbling block argument that he's weaved into this book of 1 Corinthians where he says, consider others before you consider yourself. Where he he says to them, do not cause others to stumble because then we're causing people to do things that's against what Christ came and died on the cross to save them for. So all of this book fits together. And what I want you to get as I give you that little intro is that Paul has a complete letter here. And too many times we break it apart into a chapter or to a verse, and we don't look at the complete letter that he's trying to communicate to the church at Corinth. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he addresses a problem. Now, this problem is probably similar to some of the other problems we've looked at where they ask him the questions, wrote him the letter, and so he uses that phrase, now concerning, now concerning, now concerning, and we come to chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, now concerning. If you would, stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. Dear Lord, as we look at what your word has to say to us today, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would be glorified. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated.
here Paul starts off the argument, and after he goes through his argument, he's going to go into an analogy. And this analogy you probably have all heard before is an analogy of the body and the various parts in the body. But let's look first at what he's trying to get across when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So there's been a question that's come in. We don't know what the question is. We don't have a copy of that. We can only guess. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. And so he's talking to those at Corinth. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. Now, Paul's probably having a little fun with them right here. He's talking about mute idols, but we all know when he comes to chapter 14, he's going to start talking about tongues. He's going to be into all those type things. And so here he's probably got a little wordplay going on about mute versus then speaking in unknown tongues or in other languages, things of that nature. And so here he's got the wordplay going on. And in verse three, he says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Jesus is anathema is the word there in the Greek. Anathematize is a word that you have heard in throughout church history being used. When you anathematize someone, it means that you have kicked them out of the church and you have condemned them to hell. And so what he's saying here is nobody in the spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. Now that's an interesting statement. What does it mean? Could somebody not lose their temper or blow their temper at some point in time and say Jesus is accursed and still be saved? That's not what he's talking about. Because look at the next phrase here as he comes through. He says also, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so here we have two generalizations taking place. Jesus is anathematized. Jesus is cursed. Or Jesus is curious. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of our life. Now, could you have somebody that's not a Christian, that's not saved, that doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in them, say Jesus is Lord? Well, you say, sure. I I hear people all the time say something like that. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying that if your life trajectory is such that you are living for Christ and that you have the spirit within you that you're not gonna say or live a life that consistently says Jesus is anathema, Jesus is cursed. And if your trajectory is that Jesus is Lord, you're only gonna maintain that trajectory or have that trajectory if the spirit lives within you. It's the Holy Spirit that confirms within you that Jesus is Lord. And the word that he uses here in Lord and in the time that he's using it means that he's saying you can't have these dumb, mute idols sitting on your shelf that you're worshiping and turn right around and say Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus is Lord is packed with information. It's the first confession of our faith. It's that Jesus, the person, the baby in the manger, God who became man and came onto this earth and as Philippians tells us, humbled himself and came born as a baby and lived a sinless life and was ridiculed and was crucified and was spit upon and was whipped and hung on a cross and died for my sin and your sin. That Jesus, you can't say that Jesus is Lord of all. That human person who is also fully divine, you can't say that he's the ultimate God without the spirit living within you. You can't live a false Christian life. You can't look at a set of rules or religion and check boxes and truly in your heart of hearts say that Jesus is the Lord of my life without the Holy Spirit living within us. That's what he's trying to communicate to us today. And so here, we just have to stop and ask the question, is Jesus Lord of my life? Is Jesus Lord? And if you can say a resounding yes to that, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, 
then that means you have, just like I have at one point in time in your life, fallen on your knees before God and said, I am a sinful creature. I am a fallen individual. I have sinned against the God that created me and I plead to the mercy of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross and because of what he did by grace through faith I am now saved and with the spirit living in me I am no longer bound to sin I am no longer chained up but now I can live a life that has purpose I can live a life that has freedom I can overcome sin through the power of the spirit and I can rejoice and I can sing out and I can say Jesus is Lord is that where you are this morning Let's try it. On the count of three, we're all going to say Jesus is Lord because this engaged the audience, right? That's a good thing to do. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. I think we can do better. After all, most of us in here, not me, most of y'all, 18 to 21. Can you get excited? How many of you screamed at a basketball game last night? My wife did. The Gators won. I know all about that, all right? I was already in bed because I had to preach this morning. She was up watching the ball game. I guess I just lost man points for that, but that's okay too. All right, get excited about it now. On the count of three, Jesus is Lord. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. I like that. Isn't that good? You can clap. We can have fun when we're worshiping God too. Amen? All right, let's keep going here. This is just good stuff. Look at, look at verse four. You, don't miss this. Some people want to question and argue, and they want to say the Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Trinity never appears in the Bible, and they'll give you that argument. And when they say the word Trinity is never in the Bible, I want to ask them, have you ever read the Bible? Because you come to verses like this and you look at 12 verse 4 and notice what it does here when it says there's a variety of gifts, but there's the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God. Look what Paul's doing right here. And he does this all throughout the book of Corinthians where he says spirit and Lord and God. And he does it so naturally that this is a second thought to him. He's not seeking to prove the Trinity here. He's assuming the Trinity here. And he's talking about the roles of the spirit and the role of Jesus, the son and the role of God, the father. And he's saying here, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. All right. Now, two words. Now, don't, don't lose me here with the Greek. Stay with me. There's two words used in this chapter to talk about the spiritual gifts. One is used up in chapter 12, verse 1, on spiritual gifts, and it's pneumatakis, and you hear pneuma in there. And the Greek word pneuma is the word for spirit. And so you understand that the gifts are gifts from the spirit, and this will say it later on in plain English too, but those gifts that you have come from the spirit. They come from God, but the spirit working in you gives you a spiritual gift that you're supposed to use. Pneuma, one of the main words used for that, pneumatakis, from the spirit. But then here in verse four, it says there are a variety of gifts And the word gift here has the word charis in it, charisma. And that's where you get your word charismatic from if you press that too far. But charisma is where it comes from. And the root for that is charis. And charis means grace. So what is he saying to us here? He's saying to us, you get gifts from the Holy Spirit that you can use for God's glory. And these are grace gifts that have been given in your life. And when I look at the inversion and the talent that they have when they sing. And thank you guys for singing for us today. Gosh, I get jealous, don't I? The grace that God has given them. I'm even jealous. Who's the, who's the beatboxer over here? Who's doing the beat? I mean, come on. I'm not even going to try. I, I can make a fake attempt. I, I'm not even going to try. One of these days, though, I'm, you're going to teach me some stuff. I want to I want to provide the beat up here with the inversion. That's one of my, that's one of my boxes I want to check, all right? That's on my bucket list. 
Y'all laugh and make fun of me. That's okay. I can still say I did it once I get through with it. A variety of gifts. And you look and you see the talent around this place. Gosh, I hope you see my heart and what I want to say to you today is that you are so young and so talented and you have your life ahead of you. And you may look and you may say, oh, but I'm not as talented as that person. But God has given you a gift and God giving you a gift then allows you to use that gift that he's given you for eternal purposes. And all of you, you have a gift. You have a grace gift that has been given to you through the Holy Spirit so that you can use it for God's glory and don't waste it. And don't ever let it be minimized. And that's what Paul's getting across here. There's a variety of gifts, but there's one God. And that's the unity is that there's one God. There's one spirit, the same spirit. A variety of services. And the word there is dakonia. And that's where we get our word deacon from the diakonot, which is a service ministry. And so there's one service that we do, a variety of services, but it's to the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities. And the word there has energy kind of contained into the, the way it sounds. There's a variety of things that we do, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And here's your key verse. The analogy we can go through quickly, but here's your key verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. Two interpretations of how the word each here should go. Some will say to each, meaning each of the gifts, but I like the interpretation better that says to each, meaning each one of you has been given a gift. A gift from the Spirit through grace. That's a gift. Don't waste it. You have one. You have a gift that God gave you and that God intended for you to use for a purpose so that grace could be seen through you to other people. And so no matter how depressed you may get sometimes, no matter how hard life may get sometimes, God has given you a special gift that he hasn't given to the rest of us. I can't get up here and do what they did. I can't do a lot of what you do. But God has given each of us something special that's just for us to use from him. Don't ever let that be minimized. Use it for God's glory. You think about a church. You think about an institution. And that's what Paul's going to get to with the body analogy. Some people do things and you look at them and you want to say, oh, that's not that important. But Paul's saying, yeah, it is. It's incredibly important. I'll wait and we'll get there in a minute. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. So what is a gift? What is a spiritual gift? Here's your good definition. It's a manifestation of the Spirit working through you. That's what a gift is. Now, there's a whole argument that goes on about the difference between a talent and a gift. You know, Kobe Bryant's a great basketball player, but is that a talent or spiritual gift? That's a talent. I mean, he doesn't use that as a manifestation of the Spirit in his life for the common good. And so when you look at a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift is something that God has given you, that's given to you through grace, that's given to each one of us, that's a manifestation of the Spirit in our lives so that we can use that and look at what it says here. It says in verse 7, use it for the common good. You know what that means? You got to be actively engaged and plugged in in other people's lives. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. In the church at Corinth, he's saying to them, in that church, you use it for the common good. If you are the best singer in this room and we never get a chance to hear you because you don't want to sing in public, you're not using that for the common good. If you just sing in the shower and that's it, you're not using that gift for the common good. If you have incredible talents of whatever sort and you hold them back 
and you say, I'm not gonna do it because I'm scared, because I don't want to, whatever, you're not in obedience with Christ at that point because you're not using your gift and allowing the spirit to be manifested through you for the common good. And so we have to be actively involved and plugged into the local church. I've told you this before, but I want every student involved and actively plugged into a local church because what we have here in Cedarville is special. You get songs that are designed to be the songs you like. You get the volume of the music designed to be at the volume level you like. You get sermons that have illustrations that are designed to be illustrations for you and your age group. And if all you do is think that this is the perfect place and then you go into a local church and you hear babies crying and it bothers you, or you see older people and they want to sing a hymn from the 1600s and you think, oh goodness, do I have to? Or if you go into that church and, and you look around, you go, this is, these illustrations are about raising children or these illustrations are about going to nursing homes and that doesn't fit me. I, I want more for me. If that, if you think this is what life is going to be like forever, you're missing it. Because proper use of our gifts comes in the local church for the common good. And so we get in that local church and we do ministry to others and we work in the children's programs and we change the diapers and we get to know older people who can pour into our lives and give us wisdom. And we use those gifts so that when people look, they say, look at how the grace of God is manifesting itself through that individual as they use that gift for the good of others. And that's how we have unity in the midst of diversity. Do you get it? My son, last night, on the way home, we came up here, we ate over at Chuck's and and had a good meal and made cookies and he downed the cookie and the sprinkles and loved every bit of it and had residue all over his face from the cookie. We're in the car on the way home and he says to me, Daddy, want to go see Mr. Denny? Do you know who Mr. Denny is? My son does. Mr. Denny is the guy that is in charge of the two and three-year-old class at the church which we attend. And there's probably nobody outside of family members that my son asked to go see more than Mr. Denny. Now, some of you may look at teaching a two- to three-year-old Sunday school class and say, gosh, that's just not very, that's not going to look good on my resume. You know, that's just, I got some skills and that just, I don't, two to three. But let me tell you, I am thankful to God for Mr. Denny and his gifts and the way he loves on my son and pours out the grace that God has given him to work with children in that way. Look at what it says. It says in verse eight, moving forward, for to one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge, to another the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. We'll get there. Chapter 14 is all about that. I'll choose just to have one controversial sermon rather than two, so we'll skip that part. We'll come back to it at chapter 14. All of these are empowered by the same spirit. You see the unity? Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now here's the deal. You don't like your gift. Take it up with the Spirit. Spirit here apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, here's the good thing about it, though. You don't like your gift because your gift may not be as prominent as somebody else's gift. There's a stewardship that comes with those gifts, too. 
And if God gives you a gift and expects you to use it at a certain level and you don't, then you're not going to please God. And all you're responsible for is using your gift to the best of your ability as a manifestation of the Spirit for others, for the common good. And so whatever gift God has given you, that's your stewardship. That's your responsibility. The life that he has given you is your stewardship and your responsibility to live that life in a way that points glory back to him. And as all of us with our different lives and all of us with our different gifts live those lives in a way that constantly point back to him, then you have all kind of little lights doing different things all across the globe, but all of it is pointing a beam right back to Jesus so that when the world looks at us, all they see is Jesus and they see the unity even though there is much diversity in what we do. Here he continues and he goes in with his analogy. Verse 12, there's one body for just as the body is one and has many members and the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And here he's going to talk about the unity and the diversity. I'll read through it. We'll back up. We'll spend a few minutes on it, but I'm not going to spend long here. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made the drink of one spirit. This is the unity of the spirit that comes when you are saved and the spirit comes to live within you. And that's what's taking place here. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. There's some diversity. So if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Now, this is Paul's analogy. We can't press it too far, but you get how goofy this would be, right? If the foot were to say, well, the foot doesn't have a mouth, so it can't say it anyway, but Paul's saying, if the foot were to look up at the hand and say, I don't belong to the body because I'm not a hand, would that make it any less a part of the body? No. So if you say, I'm not a part of the body, if you're saved, you have the spirit living within you, you're ultimately part of the body of Christ. Even if you say you're not, you still are. You just may not be reflecting well upon yourself. Here he says, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, would that make it any less a part of the body? Eyes are pretty. People look at them. I'm just a lowly little ear. I'm on the side of the face and nobody likes to look at me. And as I get older, I get uglier because hair starts to grow out of me that didn't used to be there. And then you have to do goofy things like get that stuff trimmed or plucked or whatever you want to do with it. And some people put holes all in me up one side and down the other. And I don't know why. Nobody does that to an eye and it's not fair and I don't like it. And the eye says... What are you complaining about? People stare at me all day long. People want to poke fun at me and they want to poke me with their fingers. Things fly into my eye and I can't see and it hurts. And some people put these plastic things in me to make me see better. And then they put black stuff all over my eyelashes connected to me that gets in my eye just because they want me to look better. What are you complaining about here? Do you get the point? Does that sound like us? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an eye, can you get the image of an eye trying to roll around? Blink and roll, blink and roll, blink and roll. There are stairs. I can't go any farther without falling and dying. It doesn't work, right? This is the silly analogy that Paul's giving us. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Some of you say, I'd be okay with that. I mean, if you have smelled some of the things around, I'm just kidding. Smell is beautiful, though, on occasion. I don't have a good sniffer, so I have no analogy for you here. 
But as it is, God arranged the members of the body. So God arranged them, each one of them arranged as he chose them. If all were a single member, where would the body be? If all were a single member, we would have a monstrosity and not a body. You think about it. Monsters, Inc., and some of those goofy little things where they have like an eye, and it's a monster, it's a monstrosity, it's not a body. And people do it, and they make fun of it. As it is, there are many parts, but there are one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Because the eye has to say, I see something, and it looks really cool, and the brain has to see it through the eye and say, I really want to touch that. So hand, you reach out and grab a hold of it. And so it works together, but if it doesn't, then the body doesn't function. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Well, I could function very well without a heart because you don't see my heart. My heart's not important, right? Wrong. Because without a heart, you can't live. You can't do anything. And on those parts of the body, we think are less honor, are bestowed greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole right here, right now. Which one of our presentable parts do not require... But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And there is a great picture of the church and the body of Christ. If one member suffers, we all come along and we come aside and we care and we show the love that's going to follow in chapter 13. And one member suffering, we all suffer together and we come alongside them to lift them up. Oh, but it also says if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I'll never forget it. Many of you know I used to fight and go around and do that with martial arts and karate and own four karate schools and and did all that. And there was a day I was out doing the most dangerous sport known to man, church league softball. And I was playing shortstop. And we were goofing off and playing around. And we had done the thing that, you know, you do sometimes when you're, when you're athletes and you're way too competitive, way too competitive. And you say, no ball hits the ground, period. And so the guy hits a tweener in between shortstop and left field. And I'm playing shortstop. And we have just all agreed on our manhood that no ball hits the ground. So you know what that means. You're digging as hard as you can, looking back for the ball. You're doing everything you can. I reach up, I fly, and I dive into the air to catch a ball in church league softball. Yeah, too competitive. I get it. The Lord's working on that still. But about the time I'm in the air, I see something, and it's coming the opposite way. It's the left fielder. As we're both in the air, he says, I got it. Come on, dude, I'm not Superman. I don't have brakes once I'm in the air. And so what happened was that left fielder in the top of his head collided right with my cheekbone and cracked my cheekbone. Most dangerous sport on demand, I'm convinced of it. And it stood me up and knocked him out. And I'm looking across the street at telephone poles doing this number, trying to figure out which one's the real one. And the ball's laying on the ground, and I'm just staring at a pole. And they're all saying, get us the ball, get us the ball. And I'm like, I can't see the ball. I can't even see the pole. The pole's going this way. And they're all wanting the ball back in. I don't care about the ball. I, I can't see. My eye's saying, ear, where are you? Help me out here. I fractured this bone. And so I go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you're done. You can't find any more, ever. 
because the bones have been fractured. If you get hit on it, it could sink in, all these type things. So my fighting career was ended by church league softball. Dangerous. I'm just telling you, don't ever do it. Stay away from it. Get extra insurance if you're going to try it. I went home. My face swelled shut. I had nerve damage from here to here. You could touch any spot on my face, and I would feel this. The whole face would just, it, I couldn't tell where you were touching. I couldn't tell what you were touching me with. When I laid down on the couch, I laid down on the couch, and I moved the cushions out of the way, and we had one you could reach around. And I reached around on one side and grabbed, and on the other side and grabbed, and I squeezed as hard as I could because every time my heart beat, I felt my heart beating in my eyeball and in my cheek, and I could feel the throbbing and the pain every time ounce of blood went through that portion of my body. And when that member was suffering, nobody was happy. My hands weren't happy. My feet weren't happy. There was no happy dance going on. There was no David taking place. There was no whistling a tune. There was cringing and there was squinting and there was muscles being flexed, just anything to get the pain to ease from one part of the body being hurt. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, that's what Paul's saying here. We should love with a love that when one part of the body hurts, we all cringe and we all hurt and we all feel it. Because we love one another with that type of love. Here's what I want you to get. You have a gift God has given you. Use it for his glory to manifest the spirit in your life. And don't let anybody ever tell you it's not as good as any other gift. You use it for God. 